Welcome home. If you're new, my name is Wade Owens. I'm the campus and teaching pastor here at the church at Nolansville, and we're so glad you're here. I don't know if you have ever experienced an unexpected turn in a movie that caught you by surprise. I remember watching the Disney movie Up, and in the first 10 minutes, not realizing that the heart in my chest was going to be ripped out in the first 10 minutes. It's a Disney movie, for crying out loud. I remember watching Big Hero 6 and then weeping because his brother dies. His brother dies. I know what you're thinking. Wait, don't spoil it. It's like 10 years old. If you don't know by now, his brother dies. Welcome to church. I love war movies. So I remember watching Saving Private Ryan and barely getting through the opening scene. I, I remember when Anakin in Star Wars Episode Two: Revenge of the Sith, is going to the Jedi Temple to do what must not be done. Do you remember that? I remember thinking, Anakin, no! Did, did you remember also when Darth Vader and Boba Fett had already forced Lando to betray Han and Princess Leia? Do you remember that at Cloud City? Show of hands, Cloud City. I remember going, no, not at all. Like bleak moments in my history. This is a counseling session with me and you. We're just going to share this for a minute. Bleak moments. Well, we are together walking through the book of 2 Timothy in our series, Disciples Multiplying Disciples. And Paul is going to tell Timothy about some very bleak moments. And the text that we're going to read today is predominantly Bleak, it's actually a list, the first part, of 19 ugly characteristics of people. And then after that chipper little note, there's going to be a description of how evil people creep into homes and take advantage of women. And then there's going to be a description of really what it costs a believer to follow Jesus and how everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Welcome to church. <laughs> But it's one of the reasons why I love the Bible. Welcome to the Bible. You know, welcome to real life. The struggles of holiness, the reality of ugliness in our world, the reality of ugliness inside of us. And Paul tells Timothy, you, you dare not ignore it. That's why I love preaching through books of the Bible. When you preach verse by verse and line by line, you, you can't miss the hard parts. Because the reality is, there is evil around us, and there is evil in front of us in the mirror. And Paul gives Timothy's very pointed and direct words about what it means to be disciples that multiply disciples. So Jesus, this is your word, and it's good, and it's true, and it is life-giving. And so thank you that Paul spoke to Timothy and gave him words to say, this is what you need to avoid, and this is what you need to become. And so Jesus, by the power of the gospel, would we be transformed through the preaching of your word? May it have a deep root in our lives, in Jesus' name. And everybody said... So I don't always do this, but for those of you who are type A, you're like, hey, it's going to be a hard sermon. What do I need to expect? What do I need to look forward to? Okay, I'm going to give you three buckets that we're looking at today. This is going to be the flow of the sermon. We're going to look at the reality of evil. 
We're going to look at the damage of evil, but then praise God through the power of Christ. We're going to look at the dismantling of evil. Now, this isn't until the end. We've got to walk through this first, but I want you to see how this text flows out. The reality of evil, the damage of evil, and then the dismantling of evil. So let's begin in chapter 3, verse 1, and let's see what Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, tells Timothy. He says, but know this, and this literally means be knowing this, never forget this, always keep this in your mind, Timothy. That's what's anchored in this. What's the word? Okay, this is the group participation part of the sermon. (laughs) I ask you respond. Okay, let's start again. But know this, hard times will come in the last days. Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, there is going to be an intensification of evil. And this isn't something that Paul alone talks about. The apostle Peter says, hey, in the last days, scoffers will abound. Jude says that in the last time, that there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It's all over the New Testament. And not only that, but almost all, in fact, all of the writers of the New Testament would agree about when the last days are. Well, wait, when are the last days? Well, the last days began with the coming of the Messiah, Jesus, into the world. And when he landed here, God in the flesh, and said, the kingdom of God is at hand, that was the beginning of the end. And now we don't know when the final end of the end will come, the return of Christ. And we would imagine that when that day comes, that will be the greatest intensification of all. But he says, hey, in the last days, which we're living in, there is an intensification of evil. But the Bible also would say that meanwhile, meanwhile, the world is getting darker while God's church and God's people experience an ever-expanding white-hot passion for Christ and a willingness to both suffer and go to the ends of the earth for the gospel. Matthew 24, 12 says this. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, verse 14, and I love this. And this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, of the kingdom, will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to the nations, and then the end will come. Lawlessness is going to increase. The love of many will grow cold. But those who endure will be saved. And this gospel that saves us and sanctifies us and empowers us, sends us. And there are going to be many sent out. And the gospel is going to be preached everywhere to the ends of the earth. And then the end will come because lights shine the brightest in the midst of darkness. And the transformation we're looking for isn't for our little cultural bubble to be transformed into Mayberry. And then the end will come. No, the Bible says lawlessness abounds. But the gospel is preached and then the end comes. Because the transformation isn't necessarily cultural. It's in the human heart. That we are transformed. We are saved. Others are saved. Others are renewed. And in the midst of lawlessness, the church grows stronger and proclaims the gospel with even more fervor. So the transformation of our culture into a utopian society isn't guaranteed. 
In fact, the Bible says, says the opposite. But it guarantees the transformation of human hearts all the way to the end of the world in the midst of a devolving world. And there is no certainty that you and I are in the last of the last days. In fact, it's probably going to get a whole lot worse. You're blessed. Please go home. But it might just be as things get worse in the last of the last days that God plans another great revival in his church, another great awakening of the gospel. And as the world begins to spin out of control, God's kingdom is ever expanded. Could it be that God is planning the remnant of his church to shine the brightest in the midst of the darkest hour so that indeed it is true the gospel will be proclaimed to the ends of the earth and then the final days come? You know, it's got to happen somewhere and it's got to begin someplace. Why not right here with these people? We say we have the greatest of hope even in the darkest of hours, and our task is to go proclaim the gospel. Because darkness will get even darker. And you and I, we don't agree with the darkness. No, we preach the gospel of light. We don't agree with the darkness. We don't hide from the darkness. But by the power of the gospel, we disrupt the darkness with the good news of Jesus Christ. Christ. Because Paul says this, but know this. What's our word? Thanks for playing. Hard times will come in the last days. Now this word is only used one other place in the entire New Testament, and it's found in Matthew 8, 28. It says this, quote, when Jesus arrived at the other side of the region, and two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent, there's our word, that no one could pass that way. Violent is the same way the word is used in Matthew. So this text could be read, but know this, violent times will come in the last day. Paul is not talking about, man, I couldn't get my car started. Chick-fil-A's still not open on Sunday. College football is at risk. We might not get to play. That's not what he's talking about. These are violent days. Terrible days. Church, don't be surprised when difficulty happens. The peace of God is a promise of God. Difficult days are also a promise of God. Don't be surprised. But don't be scared because we're not alone. We are saved, redeemed, blood-bought people. No weapon formed against us will prosper. So yeah, they're coming. But but I'm not scared because I know in whom I have believed. Amen? Amen. And then what Paul is going to do is he's going to tell Timothy what this looks like. And before he tells Timothy what it looks like, I just want you to look again at this. Hard times are coming, which means there really are serious limitations 
for us trying to carve out our little slice of heaven here on this world. Because we were never promised that this earth would be heaven before Christ returns. So if our dream and desire is to say, I'm going to carve out my own piece of heaven on earth, the reality is you're probably going to be disappointed. But if we say, yeah, I was born here, but I've been born again. And I've been born again to a living hope and to the kingdom of God. And Romans 5, 2 says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So our hope is not here. Our hope is Christ. And 1 Peter says it this way. 1 Peter says this, though you have not seen him, that's Christ, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice within all of this inexpressible and glorious joy. What would it look like for a world during violent days, hard days, terrible days, to encounter a group of people who lived with inexpressible and glorious joy in the midst of darkness? How much hope and how much light is there in a group of people that say, my hope is in Christ and he can be yours as well? Even when hard times come, Jesus is my hope and Jesus is my stay. So we don't have a pity party when our world is crumbling because this is not our home. We were born here, but we've been born again. So he says, yeah, hard times are coming. And in fact, he's going to give you specifics about what to expect in those days, verses 2 through 5. Look at this. He says, for people, which is, by the way, you may not think it's funny, I think it's hilarious. Because Paul says, hey, be knowing this, hard times are coming. Violent days are coming. Why? People. <laughs> Life is easy except for people. Amen? Can we just be honest with each other? Life would be a whole lot easier if there were a whole lot less people. Look at someone next to you. Man, he's not talking about you, baby. He's not, he not talking about you. Yeah, we're talking about all of y'all, because we are wretched sinners except by Christ. Amen? For people. We'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud. And this isn't just for us to be aware of what's happening in the world. This is for us to be aware of what's in our hearts. This is not just a diagnosis of culture. This is a mirror to our soul. Lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, without love for what is good, traitors, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding, and this is perhaps the scariest, of that entire list, holding to the form of godliness, but denying its power. I'll take a little bit of the God stuff when it works for me. I'll do a little bit of the God thing when it's acceptable for me. I will 
go to church, but I won't belong. I'll follow some rules, but I won't be saved. I will act like I belong to Jesus and pretend to be one thing with a dark heart because I deny its power. The scariest thing is for people to go through the motions of Christianity without ever having their heart transformed by the Savior. Denying its power. The power of the gospel can change and transform any life and any story from any background and situation. There's nothing Jesus can't do. We don't deny its power here. And Paul says about these people, look the way he finishes verse 5. He tells Timothy this, avoid these people. Well, Paul, they're all around us. In fact, some of them are in the church. They're in our world. Avoid them. Paul, what do you mean avoid them? Well, I don't think Paul means never talk or spend time with these people. Don't be shocked when lost people do what lost people do. Later in the letter, he tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. So we engage the lost in searching, the unchurched, the dechurched, and the overchurched. I think what Paul is saying when he says, avoid these people, he's saying, hey, don't make your home there. That you're in the world, but not of the world. Because the most influential voice in your life will often be the loudest. And these lists of 19 things and 19 types of people, don't let that be the loudest voice in your life. But, but don't retreat from them. Enter in with the gospel of hope. Bring hope into that space. Treasure the gospel that saved you and then speak that gospel to those who are perishing. And Paul had witnessed a lot of evil and he's grieved. And he prays for him and he cares. And so should we because there really is a reality of evil. And then what he tells Timothy is he's going to tell him next. He's going to show him the damage of evil. And he's going to show us the damage of evil in the next few verses. And the reality is there is an enemy who seeks to destroy. And he doesn't just show up in a red suit with horns. He attacks in ways you don't expect. And that's what he tells Timothy in verses 6 and 7. Look at verse 6 and 7. For among them, the, the, the list of reality of evil that he mentioned, for among them are those who worm their way into households and deceive gullible women overwhelmed by sins and led astray by a variety of passions always learning and never able to come to a knowledge of truth. Evil people, Paul says in Timothy's day, are creeping in and preying on women in Paul's day. Evil today still seeks to creep in and prey on women in our day. And this text is not an endorsement of that. In fact, it would be a loud cry to the church that says God's will for you ladies, you women, to be strong, theological, biblical, faithful 
women. And if you missed our sermon on biblical womanhood that we called Wonder Woman, go listen to it. Go see what we believe about the dignity and value and worth of you ladies. The reality is there, there really is evil. And the enemy really does target you. And the vulnerability of women in Paul's day may have been owing to a lot of the cultural norms and nuances and the lack of education and the way they viewed women. But the point is not that. The point is that evil is is treacherous. And it creeps towards the weak in society. Weak women, weak men, weak children. One of my favorite places on planet Earth It's about 8,000 miles from here in Africa. It's called Maasai Mara. It's one of the greatest safari experiences that you can have in all of Africa. It's incredible. And we have been, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. It's amazing. And I love to watch nature just unfold. And we have yet to see a kill in real life, but I'm praying. I'm praying that I get to. I'm I'm praying. But what, what we watch is we watch the lions and we watch the cheetahs as they begin to hunt. We've watched some failed experiments to hunt, but what they always do is when they look at the herd, when a lion or when a cheetah, when a leopard seeks to hunt, it doesn't pick the strongest wildebeest in the herd and say, let's go after that, or the strongest impala. It looks for those who are isolated. It looks for the weak. It looks for the sick, and then it plans its attack. And the most successful hunts are aimed towards the weak, neglected, or isolated in the herd. And the Bible says that the devil is a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour. Because that's what evil does. And we want extraordinary women here, extraordinary men, extraordinary children. And we have them, and we want more. And the church's job is to equip you, men, women, children, to be mighty in the word of God, saved, sanctified, empowered by the gospel so that you don't You don't lose against the schemes of the enemy. You stand against the wiles of the devil. You know truth, and the truth sets you free. The enemy's powerful. But praise Christ, he's on a leash. And ultimately, ultimately, God has a plan for the dismantling of evil. The dismantling of evil. And that is... That's what Paul is going to transition to next. And he's going to talk about the dismantling of evil. And it may not look like what you expect. And the way it's dismantled may not seem to settle well with you initially. But I want you to hang in and see how good and glorious this is. So he's going to talk about the dismantling of evil. And he's going to talk about these two cats that you've probably never heard of. Look at verse 8 and 9. Just as, I love it, if you're pregnant and expecting children, here are some potential names. Our preschool director, uh, Megan Ladd, recently had twins, and we tried to get them to 
get her to call them Giannis and Yambres. She didn't. It's okay, but there's still time if you want to take the names. But just as Giannis and Yambres resisted Moses, so these also resist the truth. They are men who are corrupt in mind and worthless in regard to the faith. Here you're going to begin to see the dismantling. But they will not make further progress, for their foolishness will be clear to all, as was the foolishness of Giannis and Yambres. Giannis and Yambres. The only place you actually find their name in the New Testament or in the Bible is right here. If you go look in the Jewish Talmud, then you will know that they say historically Giannis and Yambres are the traditional names of the magicians who opposed Moses. Magicians. Now we have magicians today that do things. You go watch a show, all of a sudden, hey, an airplane disappeared. Or they saw the guy in half, and you're like, ah, that's that's not real. It's fake. I don't know how you did it, but it's not real. In Paul's day, magicians tried to control God. They would offer an incantation. See, if they did that, then God had to listen. I can summon God. And magic was punishable by death because you don't control God. He's the sovereign king of the universe. And Giannis and Yambres opposed Moses. Plagues came in, turned water into blood. They did the same thing. Moses threw his staff down, turned into a snake. They did that three times. They were able to repeat the miracle. But after that, done no more. You have been exposed as not the real deal. You have satanic magic and power, but I'm God Almighty. And your, your limit is over. It's done. No more. And so false teaching begins to show itself. It has a form of godliness, but it lacks its power. Because ultimately, stupidity just falls under its own weight. Because we serve the God of the universe that said to the ocean, you go this far, but no further. Who said to Job, yes, or to Satan, yes, you can attack Job's body, but but not his heart. And so ultimately, it's destined to fail. And then there's more good news on the dismantling of evil. Look at verse 10 and 12. Look at this. You're going to see the dismantling. But you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose, faith, patience, love, and endurance, along with, oh, why'd you got to mention that, Paul? Persecutions and suffering that come to me in Antioch, Lyconium, and Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and let, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. Part of the dismantling of evil is not only are they exposed as false teachers, but part of the dismantling of evil is the, the godly suffering of his people and their faithful endurance because of their final hope and deliverance they anticipate. Paul says in verse 11, you've seen my persecutions and my suffering. Now, you want to avoid evil? Okay. But if you want to be an alternative to evil, if, if, you're, if you're going to be a darkness disruptor, then there will be suffering. But yes, suffering, but a final deliverance, Timothy. Look back at verse 11. Look what he says. In fact... No, here we go. Along with the persecutions and suffering that came to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and yet the Lord rescued me from them all. 
says, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, Timothy, anyone who stands up and brings the light into darkness, anyone, not just me, anyone who wants to stand for godliness, multiply disciples, anyone who disrupts the darkness, they will experience persecution. Verse 12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's a reflex that evil has against godliness. So just know that it's coming. And, and where do you imagine that Paul got the power to stand in the midst of constant persecution? To stay strong when all the chips are down. To willingly and passionately disrupt darkness. It was him knowing that his suffering is on the way to a final deliverance that is secure because of his blood-bought Savior. I can stand in this moment because I have been saved from the penalty of sin and one day I will be saved from the presence of sin. And in verse 11, he says this. Put verse 11 back up. And yet the Lord rescued me from it all. He didn't rescue him from suffering in the moment, from persecution in the moment. It didn't mean that the Lord didn't allow Paul to avoid trouble. Because in Lystra, my boy was stoned. So severely that they thought he was dead and they drug him out of town and left him for dead. So the rescue that we experience, the dismantling of evil, doesn't mean that we never experience trouble. It doesn't mean that his just physical life was spared. I think it means so much more. I think it means this. Paul's saying, listen, I was suffering, but the Lord stood with me. I was suffering, and the Lord never forsook me. I was suffering, but he, he protected my faith. I continued to walk with him. He never let me abandon him because he won't abandon me. And he's leading me on the path towards my final place, a place where no sin and no disease and no death and no darkness. I'm headed there, and the Lord has rescued me, not only from the penalty of sin, but ultimately one day the presence of it. He rescued me from faithlessness. He rescued me from helplessness and hopelessness. And God promises the same thing to all of his children. Those who take a stand will be rescued in the midst of violent days. And that doesn't mean that we won't struggle here, but it means that there's coming a day where you never struggle again. Because Jesus has saved you now and he will keep you saved. And he's one day taking us home. Paul says, I never was punished for my own sin. Christ already was. I've been set free from penalty, but one day I'm going to be set free from the presence of all evil. And so in the midst of afflictions and persecution and trouble and trials, I will not be defeated. And I can rejoice that one day God is going to bring me to his glorious heavenly kingdom. And the reality is, for us to stand as darkness disruptors, it will cost us. But just as Paul promised Timothy, I can promise you by the authority of God's word, if you stand in your faith, 
your crucified, risen Savior will keep you. You will be delivered, and it ultimately will be worth it. Because Paul tells Timothy in the next chapter, we'll talk about it in upcoming weeks, but in verse four, chapter 4, verse 8, he says this, There is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only me, but to all of those who have loved his appearing. And then in verse 18, he says this, The Lord will rescue me, there's our word again, from every evil work, and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The final rescue is still waiting for us, and I really do look forward to that day. Because I'm ready, I don't know about y'all, to say goodbye to evil. Amen? In the world and in my own heart. Because I'm still a wretch. But I am being sanctified and empowered by the gospel so that I can be sent out by the gospel as a darkness disruptor. And over the next 20 years of my life, as the last days become more of the last days, if there is zero opposition to my life, then I have to honestly look at what I'm doing in my life that results in zero opposition. But what if God really did want to begin a powerful move of the gospel somewhere? That really sparked the gospel going to the ends of the earth. And then the end will come. It's got to start somewhere and it's got to start with some people. Why not us? 2020 has been a pretty frustrating year. And as we move into the fall during election season, it's probably going to get even harder. What would it look like for you to leave here with the gospel of light shining in your life, abounding from your lips in the midst of dark and violent days? We are surrounded by people who fall into that category of the list of 19 things. We don't run from the lost and dying world. We don't hide from the lost and dying world. We enter in. We enter into the darkness with the gospel of light. What would it look like you this week to tell one person in one place the hope that Jesus brings? And we have a website that we, we want to put up where you can get resources on gospel conversations. You can get resources on getting plugged into a group, other ways to be equipped right now. I could tell you about all of the resources, but everyone here, take a picture of this or write this down and go there today. Begin getting in. Groups begin getting equipped. Church at Nolensville.com forward slash DXD. Let us take seriously what it means for us to be darkness disruptors. And as we close, I'm, I'm mindful that some of you watching, some of you in the room 
are not followers of Jesus, we are so glad you're here. Welcome home. The first time I walked into church, it was after a really long and late night of breaking commandments. (laughs) Welcome home. But the gospel moved me from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. A crucified, resurrected Savior gave his life for me. He took the burden and weight of sin so that I didn't have to. He was crushed by the Father so that I never will be. And I responded to him in faith and said, I need to be saved. I want to be set free. And that gospel saved me. And that gospel is keeping me. And that gospel is empowering me. And that gospel ultimately sends me. And so if you are not a follower of Jesus today, we want to have that conversation with you. We don't want you to leave this room or tune off the, turn off the stream without connecting with us. And we've made it very simple today. And it's you text the word today. Text the word today saying, today I want to be a follower of Jesus. I say no to sin and yes to Jesus today. Text the word today to 623-623. And me and my team will follow up with you. We will celebrate you with you and help you get on the path of next steps. I love what Jesus is doing here. Let's continue to be darkness disruptors. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We celebrate you. We glory in your name and your name alone. There is hope in the name of Jesus. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing in our church. We want to sing again now to the glory of your name. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, church.